It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The union forever, ah, boys, hurrah, down with the trainer, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only on K News FM 98.5. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. I also represent farming, industrial, and commercial landowners. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases. It has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances and to represent both Republican candidates and the Democratic Party. One of my election law prosecutions against the Bureau of Cannabis Control ultimately removed billboards of marijuana ads from Route 101. And I have also served repeatedly as Superior Court Special Master. On Slow County Public Policy and the Law, office holders, lawyers, and activists appear to inform you about government actions shaping your lives. That focus brings folks with differing viewpoints, without being attacked, to tell you about how they think the laws can be improved, even if I or station management disagree with a guest's ideas. Last week, I interviewed Officer Joe Dokes to talk about the dangers arising in the legal and the illegal marijuana or cannabis industry. I also questioned former Grover Beach Mayor Debbie Peterson about what has happened in the fight to stop Grover Beach's city council from doubling and tripling water rates. If you missed that show, log in to knews985.com for the podcasts. That's knews985.com. In today's first hour, I am privileged to talk with David Holtzman about alternatives to city council district elections with a different point of view than election lawyer Kevin Shankman brought to the show on November 21st. In our second hour today, I am pleased to bring on San Luis Obispo County Assessor Tom Bordenaro to talk about property assessments, values, and 2024 ballot tax measures you may be voting on. Before I welcome D.H. Holtzman to the show, let me give you all just a smidgen of his impressive history in public policy. He studied at Princeton and University of Michigan and UC Berkeley. He's got a master's degree in public health and a UCLA law degree. He is a board member of Californians for Electoral Reform and also of the Los Angeles League of Women Voters. David Holtzman is the founder and executive director of Los Angeles Voters for Instant Runoff Elections. Mr. Holtzman currently lives in Burbank and is a commissioner on the County of Los Angeles Citizens Redistricting Commission. He has advocated the use of ranked choice voting for city council elections in Burbank, Los Angeles, and Santa Monica, including for proportional representation without districts on city councils elected at large. More recently, Mr. Holtzman founded OneBurbank.org, 
an email-based organization dedicated to keeping the city of Burbank whole rather than having it carved up into political districts. He caught my attention when he filed his own request for a modification of the California Supreme Court opinion in Pico Neighborhood Association versus Santa Monica. Listeners will recall that on November 21st, I broadcast an interview with Kevin Shankman, who won the Pico Neighborhood Association versus Santa Monica case, where the trial court had ordered Santa Monica to end at-large city council elections and imposed council district elections. David Holtzman has different ideas about alternatives to at-large and district elections under the California Voting Rights Act. Welcome to the show, David. Uh, thank you, Stu. Thanks for having me on. Now, I, I guess the first question I have to ask is, uh, you, you obviously are a glutton for punishment. Um, how was it that you went and got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and then a JD, and then I, I guess you you even passed the California bar and have served as an administrative law judge? Uh, that That's a lot more education than most people want to stomach. Well, sure enough. Um <laughs> I, I got into air pollution health risk assessment after studying politics undergrad uh-huh. and um, not wanting to follow my father uh, into medical school and being a doctor, not wanting to follow other members of my family into being a lawyer. So I did public health, and I thought public health would serve as a nice combination of the two, of, uh, of politics and law and, uh, and medicine. And sure enough, I did. I served as a toxicologist, doing toxicology, epidemiology, biostatistics for the state of California in air pollution health risk assessment. Wow. And I was very proud of the work we were doing. My uh, work, my office there in uh, the state health department and later the state EPA uh, led the way to regulating diesel exhaust. We were the first agency that um, identified diesel exhaust formally as something that caused cancer. Much like it took a, uh, it was a hard row to hoe for uh, agencies to identify cigarettes as a, as things that causes caused cancer. Sure, um, we got the political resistance to that, and I think regulations that that move that identification of diesel exhaust as carcinogen um, triggered. I think the, those regulations have saved a lot of lives. I was very proud of that. But then I wanted to add to my tools that I could use in my career. So I decided I would apply to law school, um, and that's how I got into the public interest law program at UCLA mm-hmm. program. And uh, eventually, I did you know some environmental consulting um, under the California Environmental Quality Act, which is not what we're here to talk about today. Well, and I think I think that um, that history shows listeners the interplay between public policy and law and even elections. Um, yeah. You know, the, uh, the, what, what led you into um, wanting to work on election reform? So my last name is Holtzman. And a long time ago, there was a congresswoman named Elizabeth Holtzman. Oh, you may have I remember her, yes. Sure. She was most famous, I think, for having drafted articles of impeachment with the House Judiciary Committee against uh, President Richard Nixon, who ended up resigning under threat of impeachment. Right. And then she ran for U.S. Senate from New York, and she captured the Democratic Party nomination. And the incumbent 
nominee, the incumbent senator was Jacob Javits, and he was used to running on both the Democratic line and the liberal line in New York State. And you could run on separate policy, separate party lines on the ballot. They um, had voter, in, voter, in they had party fusion sometimes in New York, as That's I recall. Right. Called fusion voting. So the totals from the Democratic Party line and the, and the uh, liberal line would go to Jacob Javits, but then he lost the Democratic Party nomination, and he stayed in the race. And uh, Alphonse D'Amato won the Republican nomination. And um, even though Jacob Javits knew he'd be splitting votes with Elizabeth Holtzman, because most of, almost all of Holtzman's voters would have chosen Javits as a second choice. Sure. Um, and all and vice versa. All of Javits's voters would have chosen Holtzman. As Javits a, stayed in as a spoiler, and uh, D'Amato got the a spoiler. Yeah, so that's what happened. He had the forty-five percent for D'Amato, forty-four percent for Holtzman, and eleven percent for Javits. Wow, percent would have gone pretty much for Holtzman. So that uh, you know attuned me to the idea that instant runoff voting or ranked choice voting would have been a, a, a much better thing to have <laughs> than plurality winner back then. So I sensitized to that. And I've always, you know, volunteered for political campaigns. I majored in politics. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I got elected to the Council of the Princeton University community in a ranked choice vote voting election. So, you know, I knew about that stuff. But it wasn't until Bush v. Gore in uh, 2000 with Ralph Nader serving as a spoiler that I really wanted to do something about election methods. Uh-huh. And um, there was a group I read about in the Santa Monica newspaper called Santa Monica Ranked Voting. And it was uh, lobbying for not just uh, single winner ranked voting, but proportional representation to ranked choice voting, where this is what I'm advocating for in Burbank now, where voters get representation on a city council with multiple winner elections, because multiple seats are elected at the same time, in rough proportion to their to the strength of their voting blocks, and those voting blocks can be race-based, but they don't have to be. They can be interest-based, like renters or uh, people with particular policy positions, say on marijuana, like with the billboards issue that you were talking about. Sure. Earlier. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the most fair way to uh, provide for recommendations for for representation. I'm sorry, on a multi-member board. So, I. Uh, was part of a team lobbying the Santa Monica City Council back in the early 2000s for ranked choice voting, proportional representation, not districting, but uh, a better way to represent voters on the City Council. And truth, to be truthful about it, top of mind was the Pico neighborhood, which ended up forming that association, which is the lead plaintiff in the, the current Santa Monica case. Um, we really thought that the Pico neighborhood deserved some representation, and we were quite sure that the uh, Proportional representation through ranked choice voting, proportional ranked choice voting would have uh, provided for that. And it still could provide for that. And now that the Supreme Court has ruled in the Santa Monica case and made a big deal about the availability of non-district proportional representation methods of election, uh, we think that's, I think that's a likely outcome of the Santa Monica case. They may not get districts. They may get just a straightforward proportional representation, which would be even more fair. So... Then, um, I don't know. Well, I, now, David, uh, you, you are serving on a redistricting commission, aren't you? 
yep, serving on a redistricting commission, but you don't have to think districts are great to serve on a, on a redistricting uh-huh. commission. You just have to be willing to implement the law and, uh, you know, tweak the lines so that you uh, give communities of interest uh, the best representation you think you can, uh, given your authority there, and I think we did a good job. But all, all, all the time, I was thinking, I wish I could have used it as a platform to advocate for district-free methods, but <laughs> that wasn't really the place to do it. So um, I also, uh, you know, being involved with Santa Monica Ranked Voting got me involved with Californians for Electoral Reform, who, on whose board I did serve. I'm not currently on that board. And uh, Californians for Electoral Reform said, why don't you get involved with the League of Women Voters? Because the League of Women Voters, in, especially in the city of Los Angeles, where it's where I was living, really needed some activists in Southern California working for ranked choice voting and some runoff elections, what have you. So um, I did that. I joined the league, and then my family told me that my grandmother had been a suffragist, um, my father's mother, and I saw a picture of her at the suffrage demonstration, and I thought, wow, this is cool. I told the League of Women Voters people, mostly women, about that, and the, the women loved that, and they really loved the idea of instant runoff voting, and um, decided to appoint me their program chair on that issue and eventually asked me to be president of the L.A. chapter of the League of Women Voters, and we advocated for um, instant runoff voting in the city of Los Angeles, and we almost got it on the ballot. We worked for we worked with a uh, city council member named Jose Huizar, who really wanted to... Um, he really wanted to put forward a voter's bill of rights, including ranked mm-hmm. choice voting and the campaign finance, reform public financing, and uh, things like that. Um, but he couldn't quite get all the votes he needed. Well, folks, uh, this is your host, Stu Jenkins, at KNews FM 98.5. We are talking with David Holtzman about the California Voting Rights Act and alternatives to at-large elections of city councils, including ranked choice voting, as you can hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, the uh, um, you. Sorry, going on, I'm going on and on about it. It's actually like alternatives to districts that I want to talk about. Well, let's, that might let's, include let's, better at-large methods. <laughs> and um, l- let me you know, jump forward a bit. Um, so I had advocated for non-district ranked choice voting methods in Burbank when I was league when I was involved with the League of Women Voters uh-huh. uh, before the Burbank. Charter Review Commission back in the day that was headed up by a woman who later became president of the League of Women Voters of the United States. Now, um, David, they, so I, 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 David I, I did notice that the League of Women Voters uh, had been amicus on the uh, PICO Neighborhood Association versus Santa Monica. Were you involved in that amicus? Uh, no, I wasn't involved with that. Um, and I know there's some debate in, within the League of Women Voters as to how to approach that, but certainly um, everybody, I think, agrees that the current type in the league, agrees that the current type of at-large voting, just plurality, um, uh, yeah. and, and Santa Monica isn't great, but the League of Women Voters Statewide has a position which strongly encourages proportional representation, the district-free um, uh, remedy to that problem, but can go along with districts if indeed uh, they're needed to address racial discrimination. Um, so anyway, I, I later moved to Burbank, uh, and just a couple years after I moved to Burbank, I saw in, in the paper that Burbank was uh, being threatened with the lawsuit if it didn't move to district elections. And I said, oh my God, I hope they don't move to district elections. You know, I knew from the city of Los Angeles that districts can be a civic and economic hell, um, that 
the city councilman I mentioned that I was working with and the league was working with and Common Cause was working with and the Southwest the Voter Registration Education Project was working with. Um, Jose Weizar, you know, later got indicted and he's facing federal prison um, for... Uh, like a pay-to-play scheme in his district, which he only could do because there were districts. So that kind of undercut districts. the effort uh, to uh, to well, do those uh, kinds of reforms, did it? Well, that was later. That was, this oh. was later that he, he got caught for that. In fact, it was uh, because of a redistricting, the city council president um, ensured that he had gave him the district that, that included downtown L.A. and was able basically to extract um, illegal contributions for himself and his wife's yeah. uh, profit, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, and he had been a trustee of Princeton University and been elected to that position using a ranked choice voting election in Princeton. I, I thought he was great, but it turned out that the districts provide this temptation to, to run your district as your own little fiefdom, and you don't get great oversight. And that's just one thing I knew of from L.A. And just districts in general don't give representation to people who don't like the candidate that got elected. And a lot of times when the districts are competitive, or close to competitive, and there's a lock, like in a congressional district, of, uh, you know, it's always a Republican who wins this district, or always a Democrat who wins this district. Well, if you happen to be a Democrat in the Republican district, or a Republican in the, in the Democratic district, you have no one representing you. So um, having the uh, opportunity to vote for more than one representative um, can get a representative into office who will uh, represent you and might be uh, sympathetic to your concerns. And well, David, let me, let me test that a little bit uh, with you. Uh, actually, our very first show, we had uh, Representative, uh, actually the president of the California Voting Rights Project on, and uh, he was talking about the benefits of districting uh, being that a particular part of town would always have an advocate for that part of town geographically, uh, as opposed to um, you know, the issue of are you a Republican and your representative is a Democrat? Um, well, there you're assuming a homogenous interest of that part of town. If you have any diversity in that part of town, uh, in terms of political interests, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people are going to be left out. I mean, I, that's possible. But you hear people also saying that they want politics on the cheap from districts. They want to be able to knock on every door. They want to be able to spend less on their elections. Well, that is a potential benefit. It may not be in L.A. I don't know if that's necessarily a benefit, uh, because that suggests that those those politicians should really only be responsive to the district they represent and not the whole city. And you really want to do, when you're on the city council, you want to act for the for the benefit of the whole city. You don't want to be allocating resources evenly amongst districts when they could be allocated to where they're needed most. So you don't want to just divvy up all the... All well, the but, but that, David, that assumes that someone elected from a district isn't conscious of or devo- devoted to uh, the whole city, but with a special emphasis on their own district. Yeah, um, well, they, have a less, they have less incentive to be devoted to the interests of the whole city if they're really only accountable to the uh, voters of, uh, of a small district. Well, that's true. It gets, it gets to the question of whether maybe the city's too big and should be split up into smaller cities. If uh, you think the district at large is too big, maybe uh, you know make politics more hyper-local and uh, you know, let, let those places break off. I, uh, um, I've had, had to do a number of constitutional cases, and uh, 
one of the first 12 amendments that got proposed was uh, that has never been enacted uh, basically said that uh, there would be no more than uh, 45,000 people in any congressional district as a, as a way of keeping uh, the voters close to their representatives. And, of course, we'd, ha- we'd have about 1,200 people in the lower house now. Yeah, some people think that's a good idea. But, uh, um, yeah, yeah, and, uh, 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 yeah. you know, the... the the, the, think the California legislature is too small, that's for sure. Oh, yes, I agree with you. In fact, our next guest, Tom Bordenaro, when he was on the Assembly, proposed that they double the size of the Assembly. So, anyway, what, let's, let's, let's talk to, about let me the... Let back to, to, to districting and things. I mean, I, yeah. I think the main purpose of the California Voting Rights Act was to give turf to minority interests. But that ends up, perhaps, by carving cities into districts, that some of which are specifically intended to elect people from particular racial groups, it ends up creating what I call uh, bantustans or barrios. Um, and then they have their own turf, which is fine. And, and if practice happens, and um, as cities have done, uh, authority is given over particular districts to the politicians from those districts, they can serve and provide and control the, the services that are um, provided to the district or, or spoils of, of the district. And also, I think that type of districting, racial race-based districting, actually reinforces racial segregation, and it reinforces racially polarized voting, which I think of as something that should be uh, should be addressed as an evil, something that should be remedied, not just taken as a given and used by what I call the redistricting industrial complex to justify. Uh, carving up places into districts and having to do uh, redistricting every 10 years at cost to the taxpayer and benefit to the demographers and lawyers, et cetera, and outreach people. There, that, there uh, is, I, I think you have some merit there. There's a whole heck of a lot of money spent on expert consultants to come in and uh, advise whatever board or commission or uh, uh, you know entity is doing redistricting. Some of it, I think, unnecessary. But I want to. We're coming up on a. Obviate that. You could obviate that by doing at-large proportional representation. Well, David, we're coming up on a hard break, and I want to uh, Mm -hmm. ask you a question that we'll deal with after we come back after the news. But I think we have to test the issue. How is it that proportional voting or ranked choice voting is going to give representation to ethnic or language minorities? And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back talking with David Holtzman after this break. 